Every single time I hear that music, I think I get more and more excited. I cannot tell you how cool the panel we're about to have is. If you've seen the previews, we are diving into college basketball analytics in a way that, you know, maybe we don't have enough conversations like this. And that's what the show is really all about, bringing in great people who do great work across college basketball and, you know, soon to be baseball too. But it's the Justin Perry show that is the least amount about me possible. Please help me welcome my amazing panel here today. We have some people who I look up to personally a lot, and let's bring them in. Ethan Carpenter, lead data scientist for Shot Quality. Jim Root, part of Three Man Weave, one of the sharpest people around in terms of analyzing the data. And then Evan Miyakawa, who if you have not visited evanmia.com, I highly recommend it, some great work. Guys, for people who maybe don't know you, let's go around the horn, introduce yourself. Ethan, why don't you tell us about some of the stuff you do in college basketball? Yeah, Justin, like Justin said, I'm the head data scientist at Shot Quality. So that's days spent researching on the coaching side, building out scouting reports, game plans for college teams, some international, some pro teams, and the same thing on the gambling side. Use whatever we can, our own data, new cool stuff to better analyze teams and players. Awesome. Jim, so you've been you've been around in this industry making awesome content for a while. Tell the people a little bit about Three Man Weave. Yeah, it's uh, me and two other buddies, Kai McEwen, Matt Cox, started as a website back in 2015, just kind of writing about teams for a hobby because we were bored at our jobs. Uh, has slowly evolved since then, we've added the podcast. Uh, we do some work for Action Network. We've done work for Field of 68 in the past, um, just writing, podcasting, analyzing the sport, very active on Twitter. Um, and yeah, definitely a little bit of a gambling cue to it that is been a key for monetization of the interest of in college basketball uh but yeah that's that's kind of where some of that analysis goes to and i, I try to break it up between gambling and, and just x and o's but i love them both i, I love them both so all, all of that we'll do both here well you know you gotta teeter the line a little bit and evan i'm sure you can speak to that you have your own eponymous site where you dive into some really great data talk to us about evanmia.com and the work you've done yeah, thanks, Justin. I'm happy to be here. Um, my website, evanmia.com, I've been running for a couple years. And uh, it's got, I mean, it's got a lot of stuff on there, really, for anywhere from um, high-level stuff that fans can see to in-depth uh, tools that coaches are using on an everyday basis to make lineup decisions, optimize roster moves, um, you know, figure out what guys they want to play, uh, getting guys in the transfer portal, um, lots of team-based stuff. There's really a lot of stuff there. So, um, I've been running this website for a couple years and it's just kind of grown in terms of its, um, user base every year. Um, so I'm just super happy to be here and have this platform. I'm super happy you're here. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the work you're doing, maybe, uh, introducing new concepts, having really interesting conversations with other members of the analytics community. We're going to get into all of that really shortly, but first I definitely want to hear what you guys have going on right now. If you haven't check the calendar. I believe it might be, I don't know how many times you guys have heard this today. It might be March. Um, but let's talk a little bit about what you guys are working on, what might be coming up for you this month, how people can follow along with the great work you're doing. Ethan, what's uh, what's bubbling up at Shock Quality? What can you tell us about what we're going to have over at SQ for March? Um, best thing that we're going to have uh, that people can go check out is all of our live Shock Quality scores. So if you're not familiar with the shot quality, shot quality concept, it's basically, you know, bad luck and good luck is eventually going to even out. Team might, you can, if there's a streak in the first half, was that a legitimately earned streak? You know, they force in tougher shots. Are they getting better shots on offense? Or is that just a symptom of luck might create an advantage in the second half, either 
a possible comeback to look out for. Um, could mean it's an exciting game to watch, or it could mean there's a good betting opportunity available. So we've got live scores for the whole women's tournament, whole men's tournament, um, which is going to be awesome to see. And then we should be showcasing, we're working on some player tracking data for college basketball. Um, so we're hoping to be some people, some of the first people to publish little teasers for that throughout the tournament. Nice. So hopefully we get some exciting buzzer beaters, good shots to showcase that stuff. We don't see too many of those in March, honestly. Uh, it never happens. Uh, but Jim, I heard you're going to Circa. Is that going to be correct? You're going to be posted up there for what? The first weekend, the whole tournament, not leaving for the whole month. What's, what's the plan? God. It's going to feel like it. Yeah, I'll be out in Vegas for 10 straight days. We, we always, uh, both Kai, Matt, and myself go out there with, with a group of friends for the first weekend, kind of try to treat it like a vacation. But of course, we'll be uh, tweeting about the games and all that. We'll have uh, Best Bets show that we do daily where we talk about the slate from a gambling perspective, you know, what we think matters to the line within the line. It's not, is there an edge on any sort of that? Uh, so we do that daily throughout the NCAA tournament. We've got that leading up to the tournament too. And yeah, we'll be doing it live from Circa over Sweet 16 and Elite Eight weekend. Be out there nice. taking swim, watching games, pretty pumped for that. It is the best place on earth to watch basketball, if, uh, for my money at least. Uh, so really excited about that. And then we'll be down in Phoenix covering the final four in the media. So, yeah, it's going to be a very, very busy March. I will not sleep in my own bed for like 28 straight days, but it's worth it. It's the best time of the year. It is. And I think your work over the course of these last years has proven why that you're going to be out there putting in the work, getting the feet on the ground. I love the way you guys cover college basketball. We'll get into a little bit more sort of back and forth right after this, because, Evan, you've done some really cool stuff in the last week, dropping a new style of relative rankings on your site. Can you tell us about that, some of the work you doing elsewhere and then we'll open up the floor and talk about some of the stuff going on yeah sure thanks justin so um this is something that i've kind of had on my to-do list for multiple years but i started working on this last summer basically the concept is that um in traditional efficiency-based team ratings a lot of it is is kind of centered around how many points per 100 possessions would you beat another team by and that can be versus a team you're really um, similar in quality against or a team that you're comfortably a favorite or outmatched by. And there's kind of a, some assumptions made there about how those, those properties translate from game to game. But a consistent thing that I've seen over the past couple of years is you have some teams who, like say a Gonzaga in years past, are very good at beating up really bad teams. And that boosts their efficiency metrics. And that's not a bad thing. It's, it's saying that they're a good team. But when they end up facing much comfort, uh, tougher competition, maybe in the tournament, um, you know their 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 performance could be questionable. Now I'm not singling out Gonzaga per se here, but that was more of a driving um, um, emphasis for me in terms of making this what I'm calling relative rating. So essentially, what's going on is I construct my team rating somewhat similar to what you'll see at like a Ken Palm, for example. But there's an official a, a couple of additional coefficients in the model that capture specific uh, stylistic or contextual variables for each team that measure things like, does this team play better or worse against good or bad competition? Do they play better or worse in games that are high tempo or low tempo? And then when you're constructing individual game predictions, it actually accounts for this. And one of the best parts of it is that um, based on this new model that I've made, that it's turned out to be even more predictive of future performance than my old model, you can then sort of resort the teams based on how they would match up head to head. And the way that that's playing out right now 
is, for example, Houston is ranked number one in most of the computers, and I think that's pretty well deserved. They're better than anyone else in the country at winning the games that they should win, hands down. They're they're amazing at it. But uh, in some of their biggest games, the, the performance has been a little more questionable. Whereas you have other teams like UConn and Purdue who have been sitting at one or two in the AP poll for weeks. Not that the AP poll is the barometer of who's good and who's bad, but I think most people would generally agree that those are the scariest teams in college basketball, and they have been for you know the last month or two. And so if we actually had Houston play Purdue or UConn on a neutral court tomorrow, Purdue or U- UConn probably would be favored in those games, you know, according to Vegas, even though Houston has a better track record of, um, you know, in, in terms of their um, game performance, game to game, maybe they've been a little bit more impressive. So what the relative ratings does is it actually looks and says, okay, uh, when UConn is matched up against Houston, because UConn this year has played really well in some of their biggest games, uh, and Houston is a little let, leaves a little bit to desire, be desired there. Houston actually would be an underdog to UConn in that game, even if Houston is more likely to win a game against a 15 seed or a 16 seed by, you know, 35 points instead of UConn's 30, for example. So that's just one example of how that plays out. But we see this actually across the board in a lot of different teams. You know, you can, I can think of teams in the past uh, that, you know, like a Alabama, I think this was kind of their MO for a couple years, where it seemed like any time that they had a big game, they were always like potentially a world beater. And then they would drop games to teams ranked below 100 uh, regularly. And that was just kind of a part of their team profile. And so if we're actually able to measure these things, it becomes a lot more predictive in March. And so something that I saw last year as I was kind of back testing this was, um, you know, the, the most uh, notable game from last year was Fairleigh Dickinson being Purdue. And uh, going into the tournament, if we had actually been measuring, uh, using this new system to measure how well Purdue and uh, Fairleigh Dickinson and other teams played against competition based on whether they were good or bad, Purdue often, you know, coming into the tournament was a one seed partly because they won so many impressive games, but they were a little bit more shaky in games that they were favorites, even if they won those games. Whereas Fairleigh Dickinson uh, was kind of similar in that they also played well in the season against some of their best uh, opponents. Well, when you have these two teams match up, that meant that Purdue was a little bit more of in a letdown spot against the team that they should have handled comfortably. And Fairleigh Dickinson was maybe better than other 16 seeds at being able to play their best against some of the elite teams. Obviously, I didn't predict Fairleigh Dickinson would win that game. But when you look at the predicted result, uh, the predicted game uh, score at you know at the time of when we would have had the bracket, uh, the line for in in favor of Purdue would have been a couple points shy of where Vegas had it. There's a lot more examples to it. I I put out a full deep dive on my blog. You can see some stuff on Twitter. I'm really excited to kind of unveil more of how this is going to work and what this means for trends to watch for teams in March. Um, what this is going to mean for teams who can make a deep run, teams who are maybe locks to make the Sweet 16 and other Cinderella's who might have a real shot at, you know, winning a match that they shouldn't be winning. I love it, Jim, Ethan. I'm going to let you guys take the first crack at it. Ethan, you are actually Jim. Let's take, go to you first because you might not be here with us for the entire panel today. I want to hear what you think about Evan's work and if you have any questions for him. I, I personally I think it's awesome. I think the concept is very sound. And I think uh, just from the way we even interpret teams uh, and talk about them on like our betting shows or something like there are definitely teams Iowa at home that is going to smash inferior competition. Uh, and so it, it kind of ties into that. I, I'm, I have a lot of questions about it. I'll start <laughs> with, uh, I'm not a statistician. Um, I, I've taken some stat class, stats classes, but I'm nowhere near Evan's level. 
what point in the year does it start being useful to do this? Because obviously there's sample size concerns. And uh, even with like the Fairleigh Dickinson example, they played one team in the top 100 last year. Is that really reflective of how they're going to play against Purdue, a top 10 team? Uh, so that's kind of two different questions, but I'm, I'm curious about both. Great, both great questions. Um, yeah, essentially, it plays almost no effect at the beginning of the year because this is something I've noticed doesn't necessarily carry over from year to year. So okay. uh, it ends up being more predictive. You'll see the the amount in which this is influencing uh, game predictions and the sorting of teams will become more and more as the year progresses. So I would say it becomes starts to be really become a factor in probably like late December, early January in terms of it, you know, having enough signal to um, to be able to use there. And, and you'll even see that on the website. Like if you look at it in the first two weeks of the season, you'll see that there's there's almost no um, like high or low value teams in terms of these. Um, so de that's definitely something I wanted to keep in mind was not just assuming that the way that one team performed in the previous year would be predictive of how they would the next year. And I found there's not really a lot there. Um, in terms of the second piece of, you know, uh, okay, a fairly Dickinson, they played better against their best teams, but did they ever face a team like Purdue? Uh, that in and, in and of itself is sort of, um, the way I do predictions is it's sort of capped based on the types of teams you've seen in the past. So for example, if fairly Dickinson is playing Purdue in the tournament, uh, I'm not going to like extrapolate past the best team that fairly Dickinson has played. Uh, in terms of saying that that's going to, you know, that's going to have a three X effect when they play Purdue, who's really good. So essentially, um, yeah, one thing I've seen a couple people asking is like, does this basically mean that I'm sort of discarding certain games? Not at all. All the information that we have about all the games a team has played is incredibly useful. This is essentially more of just an additional component or variable that the model is keeping track of when it's trying to figure out who the best and worst teams are and how they would play relative to each other. Um, so in that sense, I think that, um, you know, when you have, a, if we had another fairly Dickinson Purdue example this year, for example, um, you know, it might move the line by a couple points, but you're not going to see it move by five or eight points just because Purdue's so much better than any team fairly Dickinson's played. Therefore, fairly Dickinson's going to be a world beater uh, against them, for example. Okay. No, that makes sense. I, and quick follow-up. Sorry, Ethan. Uh, no, no. Uh, just, just on like, you know, team year over year, are there any like coaches that were very consistent year over year? Cause I know you met, you mentioned Gonzaga. I'm sure, like I said, Iowa, I feel like has to always be uh, something like this uh, or reflective of it. Were there any specific examples where you're like, all right, year to year, it probably is going to be consistent. Uh, Houston has been the, the biggest example so far uh, in my recent memory last year. I mean, Kelvin Sampson has had like a top 10 team, you know, most of the last, you know, half decade or so. And it seems like every year, uh, this isn't a slight about against them. It's more just that they, they always handle business really well in games that they are favorites. You know, they, they almost never have let down spots against bad teams. And so over the last several years, I've noticed that they've had, um, you know, their, their opponent strength adjustment has always been kind of on the, what I would call the negative side, which means they play better than expected against, you know, poorer teams. And then they're slightly, slightly worse than expected against the best teams. Again, that's not necessarily a knock on them because when I end up resorting the rankings based on who they're going to face, they're still ranked in the top five or top 10 every year. Uh, so it's not saying that they're, you know, going to, 
um, not be capable of making a deep run in March. That's not at all what what, what that's saying. Um, but in general, that has been a trend I've seen with with Houston. Um, Gonzaga is somewhat similar, although the effect for them hasn't been quite as large as I would have expected. You know, I, w- I was kind of thinking that when I computed this, I would look back on some of their best years in the last five and see that they were, you know, uh, way better at beating up on on bad teams than than playing good teams. But it kind of seemed like it balanced out over the course of the year. Makes sense. Um, what was it? Think- uh, yeah, because even like Houston, they've outperformed their yeah. seed a few straight yeah. years besides last year, I guess. But, you know, Elite Eight is a five, Final Four is a two. So it's not like this team is crapping the bed in, in the, the postseason. But, all right, Ethan, I, I cede the floor. <laughs> yeah. uh, now, you you already crossed off one of my, like, 45 questions about if it's sticky <laughs> year to year. Um, this made me – the first thing I thought of this immediately is what do you think this is a symptom of? Do you think it's a symptom of coaching, personnel, uh, dependence on a single player – team variance, team uniqueness. Um, and my quick thought on team uniqueness too is when Syrac- Syracuse has made a few like deep NCAA tournament runs recently, and a lot of that could be they're an okay team, they're an average team that plays all over the place, but when you have to prepare for a 2-3 zone on two days notice or four days notice, it's a lot different. So just by the fact that you're playing a different team, it introduces variance where you might be able to upset teams where maybe these powerhouse teams going up against a Zach Eady team that was heavily dependent on Zach Eady and inside scoring goes up against another team and when something fails, they don't know what else to do. Um, or a team like Fairleigh Dickinson has a bunch of really little guys. So for them to try and, if they had a conventional built roster, they could go in with a conventional game plan and lose conventionally. Because they have an unconventional roster, they go in with an unconventional game plan, which just opens themselves up to possibly win or make that game a bit closer than expected. So that was a lot. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, all great, all great things. To be honest, I I haven't gone too far down the road of conjecturing exactly uh, why this trend can be there for a certain team. You know, I certainly do see some things from a coaching perspective, um, you know, just based on a a team style of play that could kind of lead to this. Um, But in general, I think one of the things that we we try really, really hard to do that's ultimately pretty close to impossible is is find trends that will lead to getting picking the one right game result in yeah. March, right? Like yeah. <laughs> it's so hard to do, and there are so many different factors in the tournament than than what you see. You know, you mentioned the the amount of time that teams have to prepare for a game. If you're playing a second round game two days after first round game, and you're playing a team from a conference that you've not faced this season, you know, that's there's almost nothing in the in-season data that can help measure how that's going to go because it's it's not quite representative of what you've yeah. seen from that that team has seen during the year right so uh, i'm not going to kind of put anything out there boldly yet and say like this is why we see these trends uh more so that just it has shown to be predictive of um team performance in march and and just generally throughout the year in general that's that that's a really good question because i'm thinking like is is turnover rate correlated to beating bad teams because that like to me in my head maybe that it like iowa state houston like those mm. they pound teams because they force turnovers i don't, I don't know I don't if you've know. Seen we got any stat indicators like that i don't know yeah yeah there's honestly you know this this whole concept of relative ratings and having these coefficients that account for these sort of stylistic or um like matchup specific things for each team this is just the start of it. You know, there's so many more things that I can add and all of it kind of has to go through this gauntlet of saying, okay, this is a nice thing to measure, but does this actually lead to better predictions, right? So there's a lot of statistical rigor that has to go into this. There were a couple other things that I 
considered last summer that ended up not helping at all that I threw out. Like, for example, I was thinking that there might be a connection with um, teams play better against um, really like uh, imbalanced teams offensively or defensively. Like a team might be really good at when playing an offensive powerhouse, but might struggle against a defensive juggernaut in terms of, you know, the team's balance there. That ended up not adding any predictiveness to the to the um, game predictions at all, so I didn't end up including it. So there's more things like that that are worth looking at for sure. Getting a little heat, Evan, calling for Kelvin Sampson's firing. I don't Absolutely think that's anything not. close. No, anything close to what's happening here, Austin. Obviously, obviously, and I think they can, they can really let him go. Send him to Nova. There we go. <laughs> um, interesting. We got a really cool question. Then we're gonna maybe switch it around, Evan. We're gonna switch from your stuff and we're going to let everybody grill ethan about shot quality in a second um so here's a good question joining slightly late so sorry if this was asked already question for evan what machine learning algorithms do you suggest for someone just getting into building a betting model for basketball Ooh, that's that's a great question i think one of the (laughs) one of the hard parts about uh college basketball betting in general is that um it is really hard for a for you to just grab a data set and build something that's Mm -hmm. smarter than what's already out there right I mean, between the people that we have in this room and the smart heads who are, you know, actually working at the books, like there's so much stuff out there, it's really hard to find an edge. Um, so I think it's it's arguably more important uh, to, you know, kind of be smart about the way that you combine the sources that are already out there. Um, if there's certain um, tools that you have that have been successful for other people, like I think there really is something to kind of like a wisdom of the crowd approach with this. Mm-hmm. You know, take what I'm using, take what Ken Pomeroy is using, take what's that shot quality, take some of the stuff that that Jim mentions all the time that he looks at when he's betting. Like all of these things kind of in combination can lead to more power as opposed to, you know, uh, especially if you're starting out with nothing, like building something out of the box, it's going to be really hard to find something that's going to consistently outperform Vegas in that way, I think. Yeah, it, it's rare for there to be the like, there's one weird yeah. trick that they, they hate bookies hate this one weird trick. Like there's not one of those out there. <laughs> no, no, there's really not. And I can jump in here because I don't know if you guys all know this. My first ever foray into modeling college basketball was an aggregate system, similar to what we see leading the way in predictiveness in college, in baseball, right? Not college basketball. I'm just, I'm so tuned in. It's March 1st, but in, in baseball, we see aggregate systems sometimes and most times outperforming single models and something that I got my hands dirty with my first time was really using some of the stuff from people that I came up with some some Ken Palms some Torvik some Haslam some shot quality when I got my hands on that and it did perform really well so I I can't say enough how good of an answer that is get your hands dirty starting to understand things aggregating things uh, and you'll you'll get into it I think the first thing you need to do is really just learn how to like power query in Excel and get the data in and start working with things at an advanced level using if for while loops and essentially teaching yourself R while using Excel. So uh, that perfect segue into Ethan. Who, Justin, uh, I, want, I want to add to that quickly. If, yeah, please. Just so that somebody, they have their answer to what do I import in R or what do I import in Python? Start simple, start with linear regression, start with logistic regression. You don't need to jam something through a neural network, understand your mm-hmm. data, understand the problem and go with a simple model. Um, and learn about the problem at hand. Don't you don't have to go straight to the most complex model possible. That's that's not going to solve your problem. Um, you can't skip steps. You have to start simple. So yeah, start I also, regression. I also wouldn't try to tackle modeling every single 360 college basketball team perfectly. Learn where what you build has accuracy. Learn like try to pinpoint. Use your data to your advantage. Right. If you create a system and it can't 
handicap, you know, IUPUI, but it's doing really well in the SOCON, don't throw it away just because you're having problems in one place, right? There's so much value to everything that's out there. Uh, and I think we all know that predicting all 360 teams is a heck of an undertaking. So uh, something that has helped me do that significantly, and I think we all know pretty well about shot quality. I work there, Ethan works there. Jim, you talk about it, you've been awesome sort of retweeting some of that live stuff, maybe making some uh, talks about live regression, which uh, Ethan and I were joking about literally this week was a text message only service a year ago. And now it is one of the lead products over at Shot Quality. So uh, I'm gonna open up the floor for Evan and Jim to ask Ethan some questions about SQ. Uh, if you guys have anything that you really think is interesting or have maybe burning questions for ages. I know uh, SQ can almost have some mysticism to it. It kind of can feel like magic sometimes. I've learned to speak the language a little, but there's plenty of people out there who are still learning about it for the first time. So any anything you guys have ever wondered, there's really no one better to ask than Ethan. I'm, I'm going to hog the mic, Evan, because I've only got a couple yeah. minutes here. So uh, the, the first one I'll ask, and it's something Justin and I went back and forth with on uh, last April, is just like the impact of individual defenders and and how much one guy can really like, oh, Donovan Klingon's a good shot blocker, but he is like affecting shots even more outside of the block rate and stuff. Like how how hard is it to account for kind of, I guess, outliers in that sense uh, from a defensive standpoint? And you know, how far, I guess, have you come from last year? Because I remember that was like just a hard thing to model with UConn was, was how tough their rim defense was. Yeah. First, I'll say from last year to this year, it's worlds different. Last year, we were using a small a so small subset of player location data, you know, some of the biggest games, um, some big. And by the time we got to March Madness during the tournament, we had some player location data in there. Sometimes we knew who the defenders were. Sometimes we didn't. This year, for every single game that happens, we know where every single player on the court is and who every single player is. Next year, we're gonna integrate tracking into that, but this year we know all those players are. So just in terms of getting a little bit of information has made a big difference. And then in terms of measuring the impact of individual defenders, I can dive deep into basketball philosophy about that. A lot of it I think is great defenders, similar to great cornerbacks in football, don't, they don't necessarily make plays, they don't get a ton of blocks, but they alter these shots. So you're, instead of taking a four foot layup, you're taking a six foot layup. Instead of taking a driving layup, you're taking a runner. Um, you might pull up from the mid-range instead of taking one additional dribble in. If you're a great perimeter defender, you might limit catch-and-shoot threes, and you might give up more um, off-the-dribble threes. Rather than an open three-point shot, they'll be contested or semi-contested. Um, so a lot of those things you don't necessarily – if you look at the like inner workings of our model, it may not be this defender. This is the primary defender. This is the closest defender. This is the guy contesting the shot. So it's going to be 5% lower, 10% lower. It's really that this defender was there and he altered all these other pieces of information we know about. So we know maybe he's two feet closer to the basket or the defender's two feet away and the layup is two feet further than average. And it's a driving layup instead of a standing layup. It's a layup instead of a dunk. We have all these other contextual factors that are being caused by the defenders. And those all, the defender's creating that environment. And then the fact that if it was, but then at the moment of the shot, if it was Donovan Klingon or me with like standing on a chair, that's not gonna make the difference. The difference is what Donovan Klingon does to the shot. Um, so I do think there are some, a few things we're missing in there. Sort of like the threat of a shot being blocked could alter things. Um, where early in the season, you saw players putting their heads up and being afraid, looking, having their heads on a swivel, looking for Wemby. That's something we don't have in there right now, but 
knowing who these defenders are can let us analyze these defenders, but I think they've been altering shots for a long time. Now we can just attribute it a bit better. Okay. Yeah, that's a really great question, honestly. I think it's it's difficult to do, right? I literally was texting Ethan the other day talking about like who some of the best, I guess, defenders are or offensive players are in clutch moments, right? And And sometimes the best players aren't even going to get there, right? So it's a little bit of a of a balance and it's it's like the same thing as seeing a high rebound total and understanding okay well you know was that because of uh, external factors so uh let's let's uh let's let's do a little ships passing in the night here we're gonna say goodbye to jim jim before you go definitely please tell the people where to find your stuff so that they can continue to hear the great work you're doing in college hoops yeah, the, the biggest thing is check out that Best Bet Show on our own uh, YouTube channel, Three Men Weave YouTube channel. Um, and if you do, we are giving away a trip to Circa in Vegas for that Sweet 16 Elite Eight weekend. I want to win. Stop, uh, stop. I'm trying to win. Don't tell people about it. No, we. I want I want more entries. I know, I know. I'm, I'm just playing. I'm playing. Uh, no, yeah. So it, it is, I guess, flights not included, but there is limo transfer to and from the airport, three free nights at Circa, March 28th through March 31st. That's Thursday to Sunday. And then a no minimum day bed on Saturday. You get to hang around and watch the games at the pool. Again, we'll be uh, out there at the pool doing live shows, doing our best bets from there, uh, and just hanging out watching games. So enter that. We have a Google form uh, on our Twitter. It's a, a pinned tweet, uh, 3MW underscore CBB. Check that out. Enter. Free to enter. Only one entry per person. Got to be 21 plus. But uh, it should be an awesome trip. It's an awesome time. If you haven't been to Circa, you got to check it out. So uh, that that's the big thing. Happy to be able to plug that. Thanks for letting me. Of course, man. This is all about bringing these people together, having great conversations that you're not going to find anywhere else. Jim, thank you. Have a great March. Hopefully, we'll see you back here soon. Invite you to some late night conversations if you're around. Let's. Uh, we're going to make a no. You're not even going to be able to tell the difference of quality here. We're bringing in Will Warren, the star, the owner, the writer behind Stats by Will, uh, who does a really awesome job using all the stuff from the creators we see here. Of course, big thanks to Jim for joining us today. We'll definitely have him back, one of my favorite analysts in the industry. But Will, you are too. So you missed a little bit of the beginning. We talked about some of the stuff Evan's been working on. We talked a little bit about shot quality. But let's talk a little bit about what you're working on. Tell the people a little bit about yourself. I heard, are you working with Trilly Donovan for March? Yeah, I found out who he is. No, I'm no sure. way. No, uh, no. no chance. Don't do no. that <laughs> I, I, I'm comfortable never knowing who he is. Me too. Um, but no, I run a Substack called Stats by Will. It's a newsletter centered around college basketball. There's some primary coverage of Tennessee in it. I live in the Knoxville area. I went to UT, so, you know, pretty easy to do that. But I've uh, expanded the uh, scope to more of the NCAA as a whole. So we have a lot of, you know, pieces about March coming up, of course, but we've explored, you know, what do we do with Michigan State, for example, like, what do you do with a team with a horrible, horrible, relatively horrible win-loss, but a really good Ken Palm ranking? You know, cases like that I like to study, you know, looking at how single-game samples of, like, how one team stuffed something that another team's really good at. Like, when Utah played BYU, Utah did a terrific job of getting back in transition and not letting BYU get all those easy points they thrive off of. So we do a lot of stuff, a lot of data analysis. Uh, I haven't created my own metric. I feel like I'm a little behind in the game there. I have Maybe worked on a, okay. I've worked on a watchability metric for years and can never get it right. So that's that's in the long term. I'd love to have like the uh, the watchability watchability the, the Will Warren watchability. There we go. Yeah, I named it already for you. 
that's the new WWW. No more World Wide Web. <laughs> All right, but have you? We're gonna we're gonna move on from this relative ranking conversation, Evan. Obviously, a big thank you for letting us all dissect your work, and you too, Ethan, for taking some questions on the stuff you're doing. Let's talk a little bit about. Well, it's it's March. We got a lot of cool stuff coming around. Let's. I, I gave out a little bit of homework. I always do. We got our flavor of the week. We did it on episode one. We'll do it here on episode two as well. One bid conferences. Which ones do you guys like? Which conference can you not? take your eyes off of which one do you think is going to produce a real Cinderella? I don't know. Open floor. Talk to me about your favorite mid-majors. Ethan, I'll come to you. What tournament are you watching in a week or two? Uh, I'm watching Big I'm going on vacation next week, and then I'm coming back. I'm watching Big East. No, that doesn't That's count. All right. I'm a, yeah, Evan, I'm Evan, we're not, not going to lie. That. No, 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 no. We said one bid, one bid, Ethan. All right, Evan. Evan, uh, I'll love and jokes, Ethan, of course. But Evan, do you have a one-bid conference we can talk about? Because we could talk about Big East forever. There's so much coverage on the Big East. I want to talk about those nitty-gritty teams that nobody knows about, that the analytics and the minds here can really give us something we haven't heard yet. So no pressure, but <laughs> what do you got, Ev? Uh, I mean, off the top of my head, does the WCC count? Because it could just, uh, sure. <laughs> it could Fine, just be a one-bid. I'll, I'll accept it. I'll accept it. <laughs> WCC is fair. What? What team has your eye over there? What are you watching? Of course, you know, a big battle last night in the in the WCC. Gonzaga gets a big win. You know, St. Mary's kind of looming. There's a big game between St. Mary's and Gonzaga this weekend. So what what what's your thought there in the WCC? Well, I just think it's so fascinating that we have a team in Gonzaga who is kind of on the bubble territory and they're like a top 15 team, according to my metrics, which is insane. Like the fact that we could have a team that good uh, potentially missing out on the tournament uh, is is pretty intriguing. And given just Gonzaga's track record and the cache that they have, when people look at their bracket and see Gonzaga typically in that one to four range in terms of seed, like the the implications of you know both their their game this Saturday against St. Mary's and the WCC tournament is is massive. And I mean, how fun would it be if we had Gonzaga either? as one of the last uh, teams in, or B, maybe just slightly missing a tournament uh, as an at-large, but then winning the WCC tournament and being like a 12 or 11 or 12 seed. Like, that would be super fascinating. Um, yeah. The other interesting thing that, that I think with the WCC in particular is St. Mary's has just been one of the weirdest teams all year. I mean, they were, you know, sort of picked by a lot of, uh, a good number of people in the preseason to finally surmount uh, Gonzaga. And then it looked like early in the year that that was just going to be a total whiff. They were horrible early. And then they've had a massive rebound. They've been dramatically better in the second half of their season than the first. Uh, but one interesting trend with them, kind of alluding back to my relative rankings, is they are one of the best teams in the country at um, you know handling business against weaker teams, but they severely lack um, execution against some of the best teams. Uh, they're one of the worst in the country at this. And so even though I have them ranked 25th, one of the issues with them is I, I don't know necessarily if they make the, if they're in the tournament, how they're going to, if they actually have the ability to play well against other, you know, say teams in the top five, six lines there. Um, whereas Gonzaga arguably is, is, a um, has more of a threat in that regard. So, uh, but so the fact that we're talking about St. Mary's being in the field and Gonzaga potentially being out with just the, the differences between those two teams and how their seasons have gone, I just think is incredibly fascinating. That's going to be a good one. Yeah. What do you think the general interpretation of like the wisdom of the crowd would be right now? If St. Mary's had the same exact season, 
but they're wearing Gonzaga uniforms coached by Mark Few with an NBA draft. Like one of their players was a 19-year-old draft prospect. Same exact thing, just different colors. Do you think they'd be eighth in the AP poll? Uh, they'd probably be top 15 at least. I mean, um, they're 17th right now. It's not that much. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's fair. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the problem is that they, you know, because of how poorly they played in the first half of the year, people would have written them off. If this was Gonzaga, they would said Gonzaga is finally bad. And that's sort of still been the case this year. Gonzaga has been way worse than normal. And there's still like, according to the predictive metrics of really good team. So, um, yeah. Yep. I mean, shot quality's got him up there too, right? We're we're sitting with Gonzaga in our top twenty-five. Uh St. Mary's also right. St. Mary's and Gonzaga literally neck and neck 23-24. So very interesting. Will, what do you make of this conversation? How are you viewing the WCC right now? Uh, I I think both should get in, to be honest. I mean, Gonzaga's road win last night was pretty big. That's a that's a good one to yeah. add to the resume. Never a bad time to add a quality road win. I don't think they're a lock by any means, though. You, If you beat St. Mary's, then maybe we can have the conversation that they're all the way in. We probably should. But I, I've just got this fear of... The, and the thing is, if they get in, because I did some exploring with uh, the current bracket matrix, they get in, they're going to be a favorite against like three of the four projected six seeds. Like, they would be... Oh, <laughs> I mean, it, it would be a really rare moment where you've got a six seed or potentially, you know, like a seven, of course, whatever, who's an underdog in the possibly heavy one that like, if it's South Carolina, Gonzaga, imagine the spread on that. On a neutral court. Yeah. That would be really interesting, uh, especially depending on the region they get placed in. It's going to be a very interesting March. I think maybe with the parity we're seeing and the explosiveness in offenses this season, I think there's a wider window for the craziness and like you said Gonzaga coming in as an underdog 12 or sorry favorite 12 would be crazy so really honestly great points do you will have a a one bid conference that you kind of can't stop looking at I'm I'm a big SoCon guy but I'm interested to hear what you think I have a couple every year one is the Missouri Valley perennially uh because it's always the first big one it's always on CBS you always get that little it's like the little hit of the theme song before the yeah. big day hearing that come in uh seeing what's usually like a 58 55 final really does get me going but this year especially i find it so fascinating because no one can really seem to agree on if indiana state's in or out if they lose and uh, it does seem like a true squarely on the cut line case and I, I would like to see obviously i'd like to see them in just because i think it would be cooler for them to get in than if you got like Seton Hall or whatever and no disrespect to Seton Hall but it would just be more interesting but that being said you've got Drake you've got Bradley and a sleeper I really like here Northern Iowa I don't feel like people have talked about them much this year yeah they're yeah, uh, no. <laughs> they're really good at flying under the radar pretty much every year with Ben Jacobson now but kind of quietly had a fairly impressive run of late moved from three and seven to 17 and 13 so 14 and six in the last 20 uh, they did not beat Indiana State at home earlier in the year, but gave them a pretty good run for 35 minutes. I am really curious to see what they do in Arch Madness because they beat Bradley uh, two weeks ago, beat Drake last weekend, could finish strong with a win over Southern Illinois tomorrow. That's an intriguing one where, if it, and I don't have the conference standings in front of me, but if Northern Iowa is the four seed, 
they upset Indiana State. What do you do then? Oh, yeah. I, here's here's a good one for you, Will. That Indiana State home game lost 66-77, a 76-67 shot quality win. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they, got, they did not hit their shots, continued to develop good looks. Northern Iowa shot one of 15 from deep on that day. It was their worst three-point shooting performance of the season. So, yeah, they're probably licking their lips, hoping they get to see that Indiana State team again because they hit those types of shots at any decent clip. Of course, a lot of them were guarded. 11 of those 15 shots were guarded, but still a a tough one. Ethan, what do you make of Arch Madness? Or actually, let's go with you, Evan. I know you got to run in a sec. We're going to close up the show in a second. This has been short, nothing short of awesome. Let's talk about this. We'll go really quickly with your favorite March traditions, and we'll get out of here. So, uh, yeah, what do you got? What do you got on Arch Madness here, Evan? Uh, I, I was just thinking that, like, um, from a, uh, a, a America being happy perspective, we need Robbie Avila in the tournament. I mean, like, you know, there are some great teams in that conference, but the amount of extra shine that that we would have if we have Indiana yep. State in it would just be magical, honestly. Uh, he's been an incredible player this year um, in my a Bayesian performance rating metric, which uh, rates how valuable or impactful a player is while he's on the court. He's one of the best mid-major players uh, in the entire country. And um, I'm just checking it now. He's like right outside the top 50 nationally. And I think he was in the top 30 a couple weeks ago. He's been incredible. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't necessarily have a rooting bias per se, but I really want to see Indiana State in the tournament because, yeah. um, you know, that would be a great storyline if it were true. I love it. I love it. Ethan, any any thoughts here on Arch Madness? And then we're going to quickly go around the horn with our March traditions and, and get out of here. I'm a Celtics fan, so I'm nostalgic for a game that happened 25 years before I was born. So I want Indiana State in the tournament. It's going to make me think there of you go. Hey, those, look, those, those, are, those, time... are the, those are the best years of my life. 86 was the best basketball year of my life. Yeah. How old are you? <laughs> I'm 24. There you go. Exactly. Uh, now, this is a, a really advanced panel in terms of math and statistics, but I think we can all figure that one out. Uh, all right. Let's get something I'm really enjoying doing, just talking to people about what they do in March. So, Evan, you're going to jump in a sec. We really appreciate having you here. What do you do for the tournament, maybe for Arch Madness? What are some things that you look forward to besides just crunching numbers and, and doing all the stuff that us sickos have fun doing? Well, um, I, I used to live in Indiana. I live in California now. But when I was in Indiana, uh, my my all time favorite March Madness tradition was when you can bunker down with friends and watch the entire tournament. One of my good buddies specifically uh, turns his entire basement into like stadium seating where he has like three different tiered rows of couches and oh. four large screen TVs. And they literally provide food for like an exclusive list of 15 people for four straight days. And you just you just sit there the entire weekend. You eat all the food there's a papa shot in the back you watch you know 45 games uh and and basically never leave that room and it's it's basketball heaven it's the best do you guys need a stand-in or i mean seriously no that that sounds awesome really so hope the 49 have. states it's just basketball thing is real apparently oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah will what about you what do you do to uh celebrate the uh the best month that we get here in college? well i like to take a couple days off work um get a little run in go to the donut shop um and then all i eat from about 12 to 6 p.m is a a six pack of donuts and wow i'm uh, i'm trying to not move as little i'm moving as little as possible uh but no the the big one for me every year i usually will go see my dad for a little bit of the tournament 
And what usually happens is every year I print out the channel numbers for him and just tape them to the TV because he will, if I don't, he will text me. So I, uh, I try to just keep that up there for him. Remind him that true TV exists. He's not an impractical <laughs> jokers guy. So yeah. look, I think we all, we're going to see a lot of those commercials soon, Ethan, and then I'll let everyone sort of say goodbye and everything. What do you do for March? Anything special? Uh, or are you just, you know, watching shot quality live streams? Um, nothing I've done. I mean, I've lived in like a different place each of the last three years, different people. But I'll say my favorite thing is me and one of my roommates have do two things. Uh, first is we paste, we print out every team's logo and we take one wall in the house or apartment and just slowly fill in the bracket over the term, which I got to say is awesome. Having three TVs up and having the bracket fill them behind you is great. Colgate, we always wow. glue a tube of toothpaste up there. Great. And then we will, <laughs> we'll spend time filling out our bracket together. It's really nice to have the big visual filling out your bracket. And then best thing ever, we called each other for last year's senior year. We spent like four hours building a bracket over which mascot would win in a fight to the death. Which is so much fun because you will spend 30 minutes arguing. Oh, it's just hilarious. You get to like Notre Dame, like who's going to win? Like a dragon from Drexel or somebody from Ireland? Like it's. There you go. There you go. Good. Hey, look. Take look, a little break had, from all the stress. Yeah, exactly. Plenty, <laughs> plenty of debate to be had. Expected statistics for that, relative rankings. I'm sure you can get into all of it. <laughs> but I, of course, want to just say a huge thank you to my panel today Ethan Carpenter of Shock Quality, Evan Miyakawa of EvanMia.com, Will Warren of Stats by Will, Jim Root of third, of second, Jesus, three man weave. Good luck to me. Happy March, everybody. I want to thank you all for tuning in today to the Justin Perry show. Of course, we will be back on what? We'll be back on Monday with our next episode. Going to let the panel get out of here. Thank you so much for everybody who tuned in, everybody who contributed. I appreciate it so much. We are going to continue to build really high-level conversations here at the Justin Perry Show, inviting great guests, having great commentary, things you just don't find elsewhere. So thank you all for tuning in. I will see you later. We do late-night streams randomly whenever I feel like it. So, uh, yeah, that's the Justin Perry Show. We'll catch you next time. See you Monday for panel number.